Vox Bus. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode, Fatherhood, My Kind of Yoga. And this was going to be a straight-up monologue, but as I was having a discussion with my friend Bria Lavalsi-Parker, she suggested that she could do a facilitation and inquire into me and my process of uh, being a father. So I get to be a little bit on the other end of the mic this time. I've known Bria for about 20 years, and you can get more information on her on the episode show notes, but she is a graphic facilitator, and she enhances and invigorates discussions and conferences and meetings and keynote talks in organizations and companies, and it's a great collaboration tool for engagement and awareness. She really knows how to draw the words out of your mouth, pun intended. So in this episode, I talk about stories of my relationship with my son and relationship as a son with my father. And some of my thoughts and philosophies around freedom and control and trusting life's path. So I just want to say that I feel such deep appreciation, one, for my father and his unwavering love that he gave me so I can walk in and follow some steps of fatherhood. And to my son, Xander, thank you from the bottom of my heart, son, for sharing our lives together and giving me an opportunity to discover my essence of selfless love and for being such a extraordinary human in the process of playing with me as father and son. So parenthood and fatherhood can sure be a spiritual path, and it has been for me. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey, Bria. Hey, Prepo. <laughs> Thanks for coming and doing this, because this is kind of cool. You and I talked about a few weeks ago when I said I wanted to do a podcast on fatherhood, because it was coming close to... Father's Day, and it's so near and dear to my experience of my life. And instead of a monologue, you suggested, why don't we do a little bit of reverse what I'm used to of me instigating and inquiring in conversations that you would actually do that from the other end to me and get me focused on areas to talk about in uh, fatherhood. So thanks for You're absolutely welcome. I'm mm -hmm. so happy to be here with you. Yeah. And you've known me through a lot of the journey of me being a father to, to my son, Xander. We've known each other for, what, 20 years? 20 years. Right? 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah, I am testament to many days of your fatherhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, 
I really appreciate that you wanted to do this. And, you know, I was even thinking about with with some of the work that you're doing now, being a graphic facilitator, one thing that you do so well is really listen to what the person is trying to capture and to do it in a visual way so people can really understand it. So I think you're a really good person to see between the lines a little bit of maybe even what I'm saying or what people can interpret and understand. Right, uh, because you're such an extraordinary father, Mm. and I'm not positive that you can see what the other side is like. So I think that's a really good contrast to pull, Mm. because I have known you since Xander was, what, three years old, and you have parented him differently. You and Rainbow have parented him in such a way that was almost like the experiment, the grand experiment. Yeah. And now that he is a 23-year-old man mm. and you see what he has become, he's who he's always been, and now he's just a, a, a wise, older version of that child, you allowed him to become who he is. Where... I think most of us as parents, overly controlled, Hmm. overly controlled what we wanted to be the outcome of our child out of love. Mostly, I would say it's out of love and and then out of fear that they wouldn't succeed. The one advantage that I had around that was through the years of being a therapist, I see it from the other end. I see when especially fathers are thinking, behaving, expressing themselves in a not serving and loving way. So I do see the other side. And I've, that's the uh, one wonderful thing of learning from doing my work, learning from my clients and having empathy of things that they're doing and wish that they could do differently and not understanding the issues that they have. So one aspect is I'm learning. Also, I've learned from, let's say, their mistakes or their challenges. But you knew this before you were a therapist. Yeah. I mean, I know it's your nature to have always been this person, you know, in your work that you are now. But you had to learn this before yeah. you were sitting with, with your clients. Yeah, I've talked about it before on a podcast. The, the greatest learning is I had a wonderful, loving and caring and positive and affectionate father myself. So that's a rarity for a lot of men. I I learned it through some of the modeling that I experienced with my father. And yes, he had his challenges and he had his issues of depression and areas of his work that was really challenging. But the relationship that we had, I always felt very loved by him that I would, he always told me how I could achieve whatever it is that I wanted to. And he didn't control me in that way. He gave me a lot of freedom, but he instilled confidence and trust in my life's path. And I think that that's kind of my mantra for me is like trust in my life's path, whichever way it's going. And if it's going down what I think is the wrong road and wrong path, it's like, no, 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 people trust your life's path. You get in these circumstances for it to be evolved and learned and transformed. So I say that to other people, trust in your life's path. And if I really believe it, then that means that I have to feel that towards my son. And that's what I've done many years is I wanted, I trust in his life's path, uh, whether when he was small and being a teenager and choices that he made and, and especially now, I trust in his life's path. And I want to give him that confidence to have the freedom 
to have the experiences and be who he wants to experience himself walking in the world. That is the greatest gift that you can give to your son, that freedom to choose who he is and to know himself without getting into that place of shaming. That's our sort of go-to thing in, an, in the average parenting skills, because we really weren't taught how to parent. We were taught how to control. That's right. Because out of fear of trying to control an external behavior. And so a lot of parents can use the control because they're fearful and they're worried that a child's behavior is going to continue in a bad way or uh, even grow in a negative way. And I get that. I, I understand that. But nothing really positive comes out of out of worry. You know, I love that Dalai Lama saying, if you can't do something about a situation, there's no need to worry. If you could do something about a situation, then there's no need to worry. I know growing up when my mother was worrying, my grandmother was worrying about me, I didn't want to tell them more things that I was maybe taking risks on. They would just throw it back about how worried they were and that I'd have to take care of them. So I didn't want my son to be out in the world and experiment and not tell me things because he's he was concerned that I was worried and he'd have to take care of me and downplay mm. some of his expansion of experimentation. Because I know as a kid, I really needed to experiment in many ways to be able to know my boundaries and know my integrity. It's the way that to, to learn. So, Did you ever have to draw a hard boundary with Sander? Oh, there was definitely times where he was experimenting maybe with his, his boundaries, especially with, with his mom, with Rainbow, of maybe talking harsh to her or not being kind. And I needed to draw that boundary. Like, hey, man, that, that is not kind the way that you're talking to your mom. And she doesn't deserve that. But I wouldn't come down yelling at him. It would be, he didn't, he, my energy changed. I'm like, hey, that's a boundary, man. That is that is not cool. There's another way that you could speak to her. If you are frustrated, there's another way that you can find that. And I can help you find that. So I was, that was probably an area that I came down, you know, more on, on those stronger boundaries. Well, let's say he did something. Let's say he crossed some boundary for you, you know, any situations in, in your life where he, he crossed a boundary that you, you had this inner, like, oh my God, I'm going to just have to do something about this. But huh. then you had to breathe through it. What did you do? What? Well, I mean, there's a few times of that, but one that hits on the heartstrings was even when he, I don't know, maybe 17 or so, when he would end up staying out at night and he wouldn't inform me that he was doing that. So I would wake up to go pee at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, check no sun, you know, oh, not in the scary. bedroom. And it's scary, right? And knowing that I probably can't call him at three o'clock in the morning and, or if I do, you know, I'm not going to answer. And, and so there was some times where I would say the next day, I'm like, hey man, I just got to tell you, like, I really want you to be considerate of me and a mom and, just text me and let me know. It doesn't matter what time it is. That's all you got to do. You don't have to call. You just check, hey, Dad, I'm going to spend the night out at so-and-so, and that's fine. I have no qualms about you making that decision. I'm sure it's going to be a smart decision that, that you're going to make the reasons why you're How why can you be out. sure he's going to make a smart decision? How can you get into that place where you feel safe and secure with that? When because my, my experience with him throughout the years is that he learns from those decisions, and they are smart. And he makes smarter and smarter decisions. Ever since he was young, I would tell him to stay focused on something. When he was a little kid running down the street, I would 
look at areas where I was unsafe and tell him, okay, man, let's look at this. This is steep. This is a little dangerous. So I want you to stay focused. And stay focused rather than be careful. Watch uh, out. Watch out. Be careful. You're going to hurt yourself. I would never say that. I would always say stay focused. And so he would run and be focused when he's running, not worried about getting hurt. What's the philosophy of that? Focus on what it is that you want to happen, not what you don't want mm. to happen. And so to me, that's what it was. I wanted him to be focused. So I wanted him to learn and have those experiences that were really cool and exhilarating and fun instead of focusing on, I might not do it right or I'm going to really mess up. It's a little bit of the sports analogy. You don't think about striking out. You think about hitting the shit out of the ball. Mm. So I wanted him not to think about his, you know, what could happen that's, that's wrong. We have a mind that will do that anyway. I don't have to tell him, well, you know, the dangers that are out there. He knows what the dangers that are out there. But he never got off being really careless. I mean, there was sometimes in some behavior that I thought he didn't make good decisions. And, and I would say, hey, you know, I don't, that wasn't a good decision. You know, let's talk about that. And he would either fess up that he agreed that it wasn't a good decision, or he would say, well, I made this decision. And I thought that it was the, the right decisions to make at the time. And so it was, it was more about establishing a relationship with him around that decision-making process, not talking about the content, not focused on talking about, oh, I need to have this discussion about sex and I need to have this discussion about drugs and, and especially in retro aspect when it was maybe bad decisions. A lot of parents freak out about their kids doing drugs or uh, bad decisions around sex or driving, and they're so focused on the content. They're not focused on the establishment of the relationship of the connection. If I feed the connection of the relationship with my son, I could talk about any subject. He'll feel I'm on his side. He'll feel that I am acknowledged and validating his experience. He will know more about my feelings and take my experience in consideration because we have this relationship of connection what I learned early on was to establish that so that we can talk about anything, not wait to the subject to try to understand each other and be close. Establish the closeness right off the bat. A transparency of sorts of, of who you are and allowing him to be who he is. I want to know who he is. I, I think he's an extraordinary being and he's always been an extraordinary being for me. And that's why I decided uh, early on when he was born, I wasn't working. I had saved enough savings at the time when I went to Esalen, met Rainbow. Uh, a year later, we got pregnant and decided to just chill out and be parents and learn to be parents together. And that was a conscious decision uh, to let my savings go all the way to zero and below. The below wasn't a good decision. People <laughs> <laughs> didn't make a good decision on that one. It took him a while to come back on How that How long one. did you stay out? Um, four years. Wow. I think it was four years, and we traveled a lot during that time uh, over overseas, and and lived in Europe and and Maui and different places. But I wanted to be with him. Uh, I wanted to just experience. He was an incredibly fun. His laughter was incredible. Our sense of humor. We really connect through that, and and I wanted to feel very very capable. I think because I lived with my father when my parents were divorced. And understood the importance of a father-son relationship just by itself that I also wanted to feel if anything ever happened to Rainbow, I wanted to feel capable that I could 
have an established relationship that he would thrive in the world and I could take care of him food wise, cleaning, all kinds of things. You know, interesting. I wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah, no, very much. Like one of my favorite shows growing up was Courtships of Eddie's Father. Oh, I remember that. that? (laughs) Bill Bixby. (laughs) Bill Bixby. (laughs) Dad, what is you would always ask that question. To me it was extraordinary. It was a story in the sixties about a, a professional father that his wife died and the son, uh, he lived, of course, with his son and with Mrs. Livingston, the Japanese. Oh, that's right. But they established this really beautiful, respectful relationship. And I want to learn from my son. I, he had a lot of cool ways of seeing the world and insights. And I, I also want to preference, this is not just solely just between him and I. I mean, Rainbow had this huge effect on me being a present father and and the inspiration that I got from her, how he, uh, how she related to him. But I got to do it in my own energy, which was wonderful that she allowed that. She allowed us establishing our own relationship and I didn't have to do it all her way. Xander was about three years old and he woke up at six o'clock in the morning. I took that duty that day and was with him in the living room and he looks at me and he said, hey dad, can I have some chocolate chips? And I'm like, man, I can't give you chocolate chips. Are you kidding, man? It's six o'clock in the morning. Mom would bust me up. He looked me up and down and he looked at me and went, ah, oh, quit acting like a mom and act like a dad. Oh. And I looked at him and I'm like, you are so freaking right, man. Let's have some chocolate chips, baby. You were dad this morning. So there was some of that that I, uh, it was a great teacher. He's like, come on, man. It's like, it, be dad. How old was he? He was three. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we had those moments and, and Rainbow definitely let us have those because she trusted. She wouldn't do it that way. Xander had to have the experience with me. And uh, that trust built throughout our life where I speak with him more often, I think, than Rainbow does right now of checking in with how his life is uh, in Netherlands and school. And there's this transition that naturally took place that I think is a good transition for parents, especially of a son, where the mother's nurturing takes over. If the father then takes over in a masculine nurturing as the son gets older to teach him how to be a man in the world. And Rainbow really passed that to me in a, in a very wonderful and gentle way. It's not at all that she gave up her influence on him, but she knew that at a certain age, my influence on him became very important. So you mentioned that you lived with your father. How old were you when you went to live with your father and were you alone or were you with your siblings? Uh, I was 14 when I chose to live with my father. My parents were divorced when I was 12, lived with my mother and stepfamily for a year, which wasn't a positive environment for me. There was um, a lot of uh, dysfunction and anger and yelling and rage, and they just didn't know how to work it out, and I didn't want to be part of it. And my father was calm and quiet. How did you get the choice? Well, I spent a summer with him, and and he said, do you want to make that more permanent? And I think at the time, because this was in the mid-'70s, he had to go for custody. And so I went in front of the court, which was really, really shitty, that I had to choose in front of a judge and tell the judge uh, who I wanted to live with. And Did I the know, judge ask you Yeah, he asked me. Yeah, yeah, he asked me. Oh. And I know that, you know, it was a big influence in his decision. 
But I had to say it in front of my mother. I know how much that hurt her. Mm. And yet they created the situation. I was kind of clear of that, that I didn't have to cater towards not disappointing my mother. I really knew I needed to make the decision what was healthy for me at the time. And my father, when I first moved in with him, he said there's three things to our relationship, communication, communication, communication. My father wasn't an overly communicative person. He just meant we're not gonna shy away from disclosing ourselves. And it was wonderful to have that, to him to ask me how my day was at school. And I'd say, it's all right. And he's like, come on, how was your day? Hmm. And he would just say it like that. It was like, open up to me. And I would do the reverse to him. How was your day at work? I was all right. Hey, dad, how was your day at work? You know, And we just felt comfortable in that. He gave me a lot of freedom. Not freedom of that he didn't care. But he was basically, what I would do with Xander, hey, you show that you can be responsible, make good decisions. I want to give you more freedom. I'll keep giving you more freedom. And I did. I learned how to do my own laundry and cook. You know, my father was working a lot. and But we really came together in a real wonderful bonding way. And my sister chose to stay with my mother. What was that like when you were not with your sister all of a sudden? Yeah, I, I, felt, I felt sorry for her um, that she chose to stay in that situation. But I think that she was attached to my mom of not wanting to abandon my mom because that would have really hurt my mom, you know, after I did. So that was my sister's choice and karma in, in some way. My father and sister had a wonderful relationship, so I would see my sister often. Did you live nearby? Within about 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah, so that wasn't too bad. They had a wonderful relationship, so it was really good to see my father and how much my sister felt secure in a relationship with my dad. And that's the one, you know regret if there's a regret the aspect of that i never got to be a, a father of a of a woman of a girl uh, mm. growing up and of course you know that we had and i've told on a podcast before of having a baby girl that died in birth and and so that wasn't my karma to have that uh yet i really think about how what would that have done to me and, and my energy of being able to balance some of the sweetness and nurturing that i know that my father gave my sister can you see that now in Sanders? Yeah, exactly. Girlfriend? Yeah, I love it. I love the relationship that we have. That I get to have a a nurturing father energy to Emma. She's twenty one, and she's so thoughtful and, and sweet and considerate and appreciative of of me. And she really sees me. And uh, so, if I had a daughter at twenty one, I would I want it to be exactly like her. I'm. I'm. I, I have the sense that she would be. Yeah. I got the bonus game with her, mm-hmm. definitely. So yeah. in some way, the, the sweetness that I get to bring in, in now and check in with her uh, weekly and see how she's doing and have our own conversations. And she'll be coming in the summer. And yeah, to have that connection is wonderful. But having it, you know, just remembering times like when my father, when my sister got caught with cigarettes, you know, at 13 mm-hmm. and, you know, the cigarettes fell out of her purse and, and my mom got really upset. We were at Davidson Coney Island. Coney Island, those of you in Detroit, that is a hot dog with <laughs> mustard and... Relish? No, actually onions. Onions and mustard and a little bit of ketchup. It was Coney Island. Oh, and chili. I, sorry, uh, Detroit. Chili, chili, chili. Yeah, so we call it Coney Island. So we were at Davidson Coney Islands and 
these two cigarettes fell out in, in an aluminum foil, and instantly my mother's like, whose cigarettes are these? And my sister, Jeff Kamen. <laughs> hey, Jeff, if you're out there, man, I know they weren't yours. My mother was very upset, and it was at those days, you know, wait till your father, you know, I'm going to tell your father. My father wasn't a disciplinary person, but I knew, he probably knew he had to do something to appease my mom. Well, that was the mother's mantra, wait till your father, father gets, gets home. home. Yeah. And later that night, I think we, it was a holiday, we were at a nice restaurant. I could feel the tension that was kind of building up. I knew something was was going to happen. My father left the table for about 10 minutes, came back. He threw this really cool teenage, like psychedelic in the 70s, psychedelic lighter on the table. And he looked at my sister and he said, if you're going to smoke, you're going to smoke in front of me. And that was it. And I vividly remember that. Kind of like the acceptance of, I'm not, I know I'm not going to make you stop. And I'm not going to be that kind of controlling father, but don't hide it from me. Well, I can hear some rabble in the corners of my mind right now of people who would say, what? No, you can't do that. Trust in your child's life path mm. and trust in your path as a parent. So to me, that resonated. Like it felt right. It felt right in my body when my father did that. And I knew my sister wasn't going to like take advantage of it. And he had respect for her and she was going to reciprocate it with some aspect of respect. And there's like a knowing that was right. And so I think when parents think that, what you're saying there is that fear again and that worry mm-hmm. that, uh, oh, I can't give him that freedom and that slack. He'll just take advantage of it. Well, yeah, if my son did two or three times the same thing, it's like, okay, he crossed the boundary. I'm not going to go ahead and give him that type of respect or freedom. I'm going to do something different. But I didn't really have those experiences with him. He aligned himself back to integrity, which allowed me to make more of those decisions of freedom for him. For Xander. Yeah, freedom is a funky way, but um, just to to allow him to experience more of the world without me dictating to him what it is and what it should be and what his experiences should be. Right. I think that's the most difficult part for parents is that letting go part. You've done that from the very beginning with him. You've allowed him to make his, I'm going to say mistakes, but really there's no mistakes, right? You allowed him to take his own walk and and find out for himself but you were still there just like now i even feel like you know when we check in he tells me what's going on and sometimes he'll ask my opinion well let's talk about what what path he took Hmm. so far i mean because we're we're talking this this sort of (laughs) like you know etheric person and he is absolutely a solid person right here in the world and the grand experiment is now 23 years old. Mm. So tell us a little bit about where he is. Well, I think thinking about where he is, he's a very grounded person. And I know from his reflection that some of that groundedness that he tells me, and he told me that it comes from, he said, thanks dad. I just want to tell you that you and mom gave me a very non-stressful life. Mm. What does that mean? Yeah, I think one of that means that in the house, we were very conscious of having harmony and being kind and appreciative. And sure, there was at times walking away and escalation of voices here and there, but that wasn't the predominant energy at all in the house. Um, It was loving, it was kind. And we also live 
out in the mountains and a half hour from town. So we didn't do the soccer. You know, he did soccer for a little bit and it was tr- stressful. He didn't like the, the half hour drives and the being out right before dinner and it was stressful. Going and coming was stressful. He felt it was stressful. We were very glad when he like, I just want to come home. Oh, and sure. so at that time we had dial up internet. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of activity with that. He was outside in the forest a lot, but there wasn't a lot of stress around him. And so for him that ingrained more calmness, more groundedness, I think to make really good decisions. Like I I, th- I mentioned to you how in high school and parents, I know that this, you know, this is a real exception, but I never ever had to wake him up for school. He wow. did it totally on his own. And he would actually wake up in his high school years about almost an hour to an hour and a half before we had to leave. He had his routine. He wanted to have breakfast. He wanted to do stretch and exercise a little bit. And he wanted to listen to his podcast. He started listening when he was 15. He wanted to like set the stage for his day. And he's so like this right now. His routine of self-care is phenomenal. And his discipline and the way he takes care of himself, not in a rigid way at all, in a way that he really knows that works for him. No, he didn't take the the normal path, right? No, he didn't. He didn't go to, you know, we didn't push a normal path. I asked him, do you want to go to college after high school? And he wasn't sure. And he said, probably one day. Rainbow didn't go to college. Of course, I got my master's degree. So there's this little difference about pushing him towards something that we believe that he should do and need. Were Rainbow, you conflicted at all when he? Yeah, I was a little conflicted of, you know, I grew up with the path of like, man, you go right straight. I went straight, right straight to, to college. But yet my path also was 20 years later, I got my graduate degree. So I knew that one, I didn't continue to do the path that I was educated. I did that for eight years, corporate America. Then I changed. And I changed based on my own needs and experiences that I wanted to have trust in life's path. And and Rainbow is huge around being so open to a path of finding passion and what resonates and what feels good and have patience around it because that's how she's lived her life. And that's where parents would have difficulty. And, and I know, I mean, I have three grown children and, and they're all doing wonderfully in their life, but there were times when they were making choices and I would see that, oh, that might not be the place that I'd really love for you to go and to hold back that judgment to be able to let them make choices themselves and decide. For instance, my son, Ryan, from the time he was a small child, wanted to be a pilot. And somewhere along the line, he lost the confidence that that was something that he could do. And so he ended up in marketing at a hydroponics company. And when he was 27 years old, I called him to wish him a happy birthday. And he said he was miserable. And I asked him what he wanted to do. And he said he wanted to fly. And I said, so fly. But somewhere in between, like this is a learning place for me as a parent. Someplace I caused a block or I helped him to erect a block to his passion out of fear. Out of fear. And I think the the one thing that I just remember was when he decided not to go to college right after high school and really wasn't sure what he wanted to do. He 
in his high school senior project, he studied glass making and started then mm. wanting to do that more and created a studio at, at home. I just remember thinking, it's not about, I'm not, I'm excited about his future, the things that he's going to choose. I'm more focused on that he's just a good human being. I just mm. want him to be a good human being, be thoughtful, being kind, be compassionate. How he walks in the world to manifest that in work or money, that wasn't my focus. I didn't feel embarrassed or or feel that my identity was placed on what kind of job that my son had. And I wasn't one of those parents. I loved having him around. So it wasn't like, 18, man, get your ass out, you know, go on your own. I wanted him around. Hmm. I, he was helpful. He, it was fun to be around. We all got along. The teenage years between the three of us were good. They weren't hard, hard years. We worked at it because we established the, the relationship and, you know, the appreciation was a huge part of our family that I talked about in other podcasts. And that set the stage to have that in our lives, to appreciate more of who we are and what we have. So I didn't have the fear of what was he going to do and what was he going to become. And lo and behold, he made a choice and I helped him out and finding a place to explore uh, education in Denmark that was really cool, an international peace college. Uh, met people from all over the world. Met this beautiful, wonderful Belgium girl, uh, Emma, who's his girlfriend now. And they decided to apply to a university together in Netherlands, and that's what they're doing. And he's studying biomimicry, the study of human, I'm sorry, the study of nature's habits and patterns to solve human issues. Mm which is really cool of a boy that lived in nature and his playground was the forest. So he has it inside of himself of understanding nature's habits and patterns. So this is kind of the direction that he's taking now. And I'm confident if he wants to take another direction, I just want him to really, really enjoy his life and to give himself to the world, whatever that is going to be. Ultimately, that's what we want. Right. I mean, we want it for ourselves, right? Yeah. And at in the stages, what in the mid forties or so, we get into that place. A lot of us, most of us, get into that midlife crisis spot where we're in corporate America. We're we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We went to college. We got our degree. We went out and got the job. We found the spouse. We get married. We have children, we get a mortgage, we, and, 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 and then when you get into your mid forties and you're feeling crushed by the weight of the life that you have put around you, you have forgotten what it is that you wanted to do to begin with. In the way that you raised Xander, you allowed him to stay with who he is. You allowed him to stay in the place of finding out who he is, remembering who he is from the very beginning, keeping that thread alive all the way through by allowing. Uh, and not taking, you know, uh, I want to paint the picture that every day was was paradise. You know, there was teenage years where he didn't talk a, talk a lot or, you know, a couple one-word answers when we were hanging out. And I was like, come on, man, you know, give, give me more. Give me more what's going on. And, and I... Th- not to take it personally, you know, that was mm-hmm. my 
my focus is like, don't, don't take it personally. And it's going to turn around, you know, next day or two days later, it's different, the energy's different. So I guess for, especially fathers out there, you know, it's not to have this dominating energy. That's where some of my, I guess, feminine energy of yielding to him in some way, mm. of not pushing him to exert himself and to allow him to express and come open when he felt more comfortable to really realizing my own stuff and blockages because a lot of men don't do their own work. I needed to do my work of understanding my emotions, my own sense of self, my own security, knowing that one of the greatest gifts that I could give him was to be kind and considerate and have a wonderful relationship with his mother so he knows how to do that in the world. And I know some circumstances for for people out there that's not in the cards for them. Luckily it was in the cards for me is knowing like, yeah, that's gonna be a big modeling and teaching how he sees me interact with his mother. My partner is gonna be a big modeling for his own installation chip. I remember when well, for me, there was more than one incident, definitely. But when I would have a conflict with with Rainbow and I would maybe not treat her so kind and I would leave the house and reflect on what I said and I would call her and say, look, babe, I am so sorry I gave you that energy. You know, Please forgive me on that. That's not the energy that you deserved at all. And she would be very appreciative that I called her and let her know and that I brought myself back in track. Xander was 16 years old. He gave his mom energy. He wasn't kind. He left the house. Ten minutes later, the phone rang, and I hear Rainbow say, mm, thank you, love. Oh, that's so sweet, honey. Thank you so much. He hung up. What did he say? He said, Mom, I'm really sorry I gave you that energy. You didn't really deserve that. Those are the moments where it's like, you know, I don't have to instill and pound to him and talk to him in a authoritarian way of how to be. It's modeling. A lot of it is modeling. So let's say that you've got a father out there listening right now, and his son is 13 years old, and he is doing his best to rebel against dad's authoritarian ways that he didn't realize he had. And now he's realizing it by listening to you. And he's wondering, how do I stop this? How do I change this? How do I get that relationship with my son that sounds like Prepo has? Be kind to yourself. One is, you know, having compassion for yourself. And uh, the more that I know that as a father, as a man, that I have compassion for myself, it's a lot easier for my, to give my son a lot of slack. I think a lot of fathers are hard on their sons because they're really hard on themselves and they have a lot of expectations of themselves and they got that chip from generations. You know, the guilt is a good is a good emotion to have as long as you springboard off of it to change your behavior. One of the real challenging issues that men have is around shame. When we feel a lot of shame, it's very hard for us to take accountability and responsibility to change our behavior. So I would tell a man out there is watch the level of shame that you have because you won't be able to take accountability. It's going to be too painful have more compassion for yourself. And as you have more compassion for yourself and do more kind things, more kind thoughts that you have, you'll be able to trans transform that to your son or to your daughter. Hmm. So that's 
That's what I got to say about that. Mm. Yeah. And that's not an easy road, you know, because again, there's worry and expectations. I don't want to do it wrong. Right. If I let this slip or I'm not as hard, then they're going to not be a good right. citizen. They're going to fail. They're going to fail. Right. Right. And again, it's the part like trust. I heard this expression, read this expression, and uh, kind of just instills in me of, are your children problems to be solved or people to be loved? Mm. And I really shifted that. I didn't want to see my son as a problem. I didn't want to see the things that he did was problems. Because when parents do that, and I see it every day with parents, they look at their children as problems that they have to constantly correct instead of people to be loved. How do we want to be loved when we're making mistakes, when we're not making the choices that are supportive for our own life? We don't want to be criticized. We don't want to be yelled at. We don't want to be ostracized. We don't want to be punished. We want to be understood. We want to have somebody who's inquisitive and interested in our experience. So many parents start off being interested and boom, they shut it down with advice or direction or a teaching. So many parents think that they constantly have to throw in teachings instead of being curious and interested. And then maybe after they digest all of that, they can go up to, to their child and say, hey, I have some thoughts about what mm -hmm. you just said. Are you willing to hear about it? I had an interesting experience with my son recently in that vein. There's a, a conflict that I had been trying to have him look at it differently. So when he would express his feelings about this situation, I would, I would say, but no, you've got to look at it this way. Look, look. And this past time when I was with him and we talked about the situation, I simply listened. I really listened. It changed the entire conversation. I actually heard what he was having to say. I actually was able to respond in a way that he could hear me instead of the Charlie Brown wah, 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 wah. Exactly, yeah. So listening, listening, listening is key. Listening is key. Huge, is key. And again, for men to really work on, you know, this new term, toxic masculinity, you mm. know, which is a lot of aggression and a lot of anger. Men really have to come to terms and really understand that. And there isn't a place anymore in this world for it at all. And so... We can't pass that down, especially to our boys. And it does take purposeful action to move away from that because it's generation after generation teaching this way of being a man. And it's not just the man's fault, it's the women as well. Yeah. We've, we've allowed it. We've, we've allowed to even shut down to our own emotions and only express the really frustrating ones. So we need to be able to come to terms with our own emotions and especially men to be able to process that in a healthy way in order to understand it, to be able to speak to it and name our emotions in a healthy mm. way because a lot of fathers don't know how to do that. They don't know what they're actually feeling to be mm. able to model that and express that. It's a great modeling to be able to tell your child, I'm feeling really frustrated. A part of me feels afraid. A part of me feels worried, but a part of me is also understanding and hopeful of the situation. I can have all of those feelings at the same time mm maybe different degrees of it, but I'm letting you know these are all that's coming within me. So allowing emotion to show up. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, using discernment as a parent, that how deep you go with yeah, the information. I, I'm not going to burden my, right. my child with my own emotions. That's me to be able to work right. with that. But to allow him to know that, I'm a human yes, being. 
I, yeah, I'm sad or I'm mm-hmm. angry right. or I'm extremely right. joyful. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon and, me while I am jumping up and down. <laughs> and the one thing that, that I'm really proud of is I took ownership and I would apologize a lot to him. Mm-hmm. I would walk in and similar things. Hey man, I am. You didn't deserve that energy. I'm really sorry. I didn't think yeah. I reacted. I was impatient. I apologize. And he would receive that. And it was beautiful because there's not a lot of people, a lot of parents that feel that they have to apologize for those things or really know how to apologize it. Or they feel that they have to explain their apology of why they did it instead of just taking ownership. Well, again, I think that's generational too. You know, we we learned to parent through our parents, whether it would be that we learned in spite or because. And so now our children then will go from there. It's mm-hmm. like the, the involvement. And I, I see that with mine. I mean, I, the most important thing for me with my children was that they knew I loved them right. because yeah. that was the hole that I had as a right. child and that they knew that they could do anything that they wanted to do. I forgot the part that you got to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to learn that later. Yeah. Um, and, and they did. Yeah. But they're now taking from what I gave them and learning how to be even better parent. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the beauty. I, I so hope I'm I hope I'm around to see the evolution of mm-hmm. what kind of parent he's he's going to be based on what what I received and from my grandfather, from my father. I'm really excited already. Mm-hmm. He's just blown me away of the kind of person and partner right. that he is. So. I can just imagine in some beautiful way the father that he's going to be in. And I want him to have that experience because that's the circle of the beauty of of experiencing being a son and now being a father, that beautiful circle um, that I get to experience. I want to experience myself as one part of my existence deeply. I'm a father and I really want to get that. Um, What was your dad's name? Sheldon. Sheldon. Yeah. Yeah. Sheldon to Prepo to Xander to Sheldon to Prepo to Xander. It's a circle. Yeah. It's a beautiful circle. And and I want to be able to really understand that that's a spiritual path for me. And I love that saying that, you know, it's my kind of yoga. It's my yoga. And that's my practice. It's a practice. So I would say to, to other fathers, like, it's a long game. It's your practice. Hone your practice. Pay attention to it really learn from it, do it over and over in positive ways uh, that's consistent. I hear parents talk about, I, I love my child. I tell them I love them. I think that's wonderful. But are you being loving? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing is like, mm-hmm. I knew my father loved me when he said it because he was being loving to me most of the time. Right. There were other times where I have family members that would tell me that they love me. I'm like, but I don't feel your love. Mm-hmm. I feel your anger. I feel your disappointment. I don't feel your love just because you said it. Mm-hmm. So it's a practice. It's a practice. And I think it's also about stepping back and not assuming ownership over your child. I heard a song a couple days ago, Brandy Carlisle. It's called The Eye. And it says that you can dance in a hurricane if you're standing in the eye. Mm. So, you know, in parenting, there's a lot of kind of hurricane moments mm. right yeah and if you stand in the hurricane if you're in the wind and you're getting buffeted around by it all it's really hard for you to stay stable it's hard for you to be the adult that's right to guide yeah. so to stand back and watch and listen 
to our children. And I'm experiencing another level of parenthood with grandchildren. Right. And I get to try out things that I wish that I had done, sure. the things that I learned I should have done hmm. differently. So it's a lovely thing to do. Yeah. So you'll be a grandpa someday. Yeah, someday. It'll be so beautiful. And so I'm just really excited to continue to have that experience and to share it, like even in this way, you know, in a vulnerable way of saying, you know, this is some of my experience. You know, I'm, hopefully I'm being, you know, I believe I'm being very honest. And a lot of it was very, very positive because it was very conscious to me. And there was those challenges. But I didn't focus on a lot of the negativity and the faults. Turn that around to really transform it a lot, and I got some beautiful juice out of it. So, for all of you fathers out there, I know that it's such a challenge, but you know, really stand in it, trust yourself, feel your own way. It's it's a unique path. Let it be your own unique path, and take its course. And trust. Trust. Yes. Trust in your path and trust in your child's path, That's as right. you said. Yep, trust in your life's your mantra. path. mantra. Yep. Thanks. Oh, Thanks yeah. for this. Good yeah. and juicy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll do it again. I want to get a subject that's also juicy to you. Oh. That will turn around because <laughs> there's lots of that. Thanks, Bria. Yeah, you're welcome, Prepa. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us. Mm-hmm.